Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Folks, we are back. We're back in your lives. It feels like it's been a long time. I'm not sure why. It's To my recollection, it's only been a week. I'm excited for this podcast. Jake has cinnamon toast crunch and Pop-Tarts in his background today. No clue why. I don't know if that's to throw me off my game, to, to make my, my commentary less salient. He even has a giant-sized cinnamon toast crunch, which, which is quite the investment. Quite, I mean, that's at least that's at least five dollars. Yeah, I, I don't remember how much it was, but you know, it was a oh, worthy wow. investment. I mean, you know, it was a, a little bit of a cheat weekend for me. Oh had yeah, the, I could had tell. The, had these around. Thanks, thanks. Ha, had <laughs> not, these around. Not, not by your appearance. I just want to put, wow, point that wow, out for the record. Wow, wow, wow. Just, just the fact that you have cinnamon toast crunch in your mouth. Wow, just Let shots fired, show. dude. No, is uh, it showing that much? Wow. No, one no, weekend. No. All all the progress I've made. Wow, thanks. Thanks, that is Felix. Not what I meant. But uh, so had some some cinnamon toast crunch and some pop tarts, and figured with uh, cinnamon, cinnamon toast crunch being um being a uh one of the long uh going bits for this podcast, with the fact mm-hmm. that for whatever reason you don't like it and you have never tried it, uh, I figured I'd need to get on camera. And then I also we had our pop tart debate last week, so I was like, you know, I also had pop tarts on the weekend, so you know, I have both of these things. Both of them are podcast relevant. Let's just get them on camera for everyone, you know? Start start this <clears> off fun. It's the off-season. It's a wacky podcast. It's going to be a weird one. It's all going to be Twitter Q&A. They're, they, we're going to go all over the place with this episode, so might as well start it on a fun note with the talking point of Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Pop-Tarts. You know, I appreciate this. I really do. Yeah. I, I, I actually really appreciate this. This is it's what pretty, I'm here for. I'm the wild bring, card. You bring the color. You bring the color to the show. Yeah. Um, I'm just here for the ride. Um, okay. Well, you know, I don't, I don't really have anything else. You know, there's, there's no, like just off the top here, there, there quite literally was no ducks news this week. I can't think of a single news item. Maybe the only thing you can say is that there was a cool, uh, shoot with, with Trevor Zegras at, 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 at Newport beach for Bauer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was was actually, that was really cool. And the fact they built the synthetic ice rink there. And I mean, you can just, it's one of those things where I feel like I'm not going to really appreciate what Trevor Zegers can do until I actually see him in person in warmups. Because yeah. when you watch those warmup routine videos that he has, where oh, yeah. he's just like one-handed, like the puck's on a string on his stick just in the air, and it's just absolutely insane. And he did that during that shoot, and it's just like, how does he understand physics like this well uh, and, and understand how to keep the puck on a stick in all these different situations and not have it fly off and go over. Cause I don't know folks, if you've ever tried, if you've had a, a puck on your stick and you're kind of uh, going back and forth with lacrosse style, trying to keep it on there. It's not easy. And the fact that he does it one handed spinning in all these weird ways, it was, it it's bizarre how easy he makes it look. Cause that is not easy to do even just in a normal fashion, let alone one handed spinning around doing it. So any hockey fan who's like on Instagram has seen the accounts of guys who do that very, very well. Like there are accounts, you know, there's different guys like, I mean, Pavel Barber is one of them. There's another guy who I'm forgetting right now. Apologies, but that they are excellent. I forget his name. Um, He's the guy that always wears the beanie anyway, that are just excellent at at these trick plays. Right. And that they'll just spin the, the puck around in the air on their stick. And that's like their whole thing. And they have huge followings because of that. And with Trevor Zirkus, he can just kind of do that casually. While also, you know, just pulling that out of the bag just for a photo shoot, but you know, we'll never actually use that in the games. So it just just shows how skilled he really is. Anyway, there's your there's your Zegers praise as per usual. But for today's show, we went to Twitter 
uh, which which we we tend to do from time to time, and and ask the people for some questions. Give us some topics. Give us some things that you guys want to hear uh, as we are kind of in this this kind of waiting period of the offseason where we're waiting for the Stanley Cup playoffs to be over, waiting to get to the draft, the two drafts this summer, get to free agency. So some of the questions we got, actually a lot of them are about that and what the Ducks will do this summer. Yeah. Before we do that, though, I do want to mention this, and this is something you and I were, were talking about briefly before we uh, mm-hmm. we got going here. And so let's get into Q&A after this. But one thing that I, I made note of today I, as I was listening to the 31 Thoughts podcast from, I believe it was Friday's episode, was that Elliot Friedman mentioned that uh, – I'm trying to refresh myself on the guy's name. but Newell the, Brown. Uh, no, no, no. Bradshaw. Newell Brown. Oh, okay. Okay. Bradshaw was uh, – the Ducks were supposedly very much in on Bradshaw, who was an assistant coach in Columbus for a while, but he was actually just hired by the Vancouver Canucks to become their assistant coach and run their power play, and Newell Brown was let go. And then kind of following up on that, um, Elliot Friedman kind of mentions that there's a connection, though, with the Ducks and uh, Newell Brown, and he wouldn't be surprised if uh, Newell Brown ends up landing on his feet in Anaheim. And even um, Eric Stevens made mention of it in his uh, fleets – or not fleets, uh, that's Twitter – in his real time um on uh the athletic uh basically saying newell brown was let go and uh he could definitely see uh the ducks looking to bring him back as an assistant coach after the fact that he had already had two tours with the club from 98 to 2000 and i think a little bit more infamously um as an assistant from 05 to 2010 including the the stanley cup run and after he left the ducks or was let go by the ducks kind of falling on the sword uh for some randy carlisle issues um he went to the vancouver canucks and was a big part of their power play that was one of the best in the league from 2010 2011 through 2012 2013 now granted part of that is obviously going to be due to the fact that the sedines were with those canucks teams but you still have to give the credit the coach some credit for putting together the guys in the right way playing a uh, correct system and uh, there was a really good article put out by Canucks Army actually discussing the the Canucks power play over the last little bit because after leaving the Canucks, he went to Arizona for four seasons and actually came back to the Canucks 17-18 through this past season. And so there was a really good article breaking down kind of the last couple seasons. And in 17-18, it was the uh, Sedin's last year. And the fact that for whatever reason, Newell Brown and the Sedin's just clicked. And ever since then, there have been some issues with stagnation um, with the Canucks power play. But if you're looking for some positives, there was a really good tweet put out by Thomas Dranch that Drance that pointed out that in Newell Brown's second tour of duty with the Canucks, the Vancouver Canucks had the same power play goal differential as the Washington Capitals. Vancouver didn't have personnel as good as Washington, so he must have been doing something right. Will be a big get for somebody. And so yeah. the article does a really good job of diving into some of the numbers, kind of disproving some of this, that maybe the Canucks power play wasn't as good as maybe it, it was made out to be due to some lack of movement, different things like that. But I think kind of where I kind of land on this is that no matter what, I think Newell Brown would improve the power play. Would be an upgrade over Mark Morrison. Because well, we'll... The, the Ducks were historic. The, the Ducks had an 8% power play percentage. Now, granted, part of that would be due to come up over the course of a full 82-game season. Part of that is due to lack of lack of luck, lack of whatever you want to call it. Their XGF was higher than their goals for. It would have eventually come up somewhat. But... I, I think no matter what you look at Newell Brown, and even if maybe you try to talk down the Canucks power play slightly, I, I think no matter what, it's going to be an upgrade. And even if it just brings the Ducks power play up to a more average level, that's an upgrade for this Ducks team. Yeah, totally. And I, I do think that for the Ducks, you know, one of the criticisms of the, the Canucks power play has been that 
there's a, a predictability there that it always goes to the same spots. That's what that article mentioned from Canucks Army. And I think for the Ducks, getting to that point would actually be beneficial of just going to, like you have a certain script of plays that you're going to go to over and over again because that's something that they didn't really do last year. There wasn't a whole lot of cohesion. They're, they didn't have those pet plays that they would go to. And if they did, they just weren't really that effective. And so I think just a little stability, a little structure would actually help yeah. this power play. And one thing they mentioned is uh, not this past season, but the season before, that power play had a lot of success in Vancouver, and that actually drove them uh, to their their postseason success. And a lot of that was due to the fact of being able to implement uh, Quinn Hughes and, and Elias Pettersson and the fact that he was able to get them going. The issue this season is that he kind of went back to that well too much with just those two players, yeah. and teams were able to game plan it a bit better. But kind of if you're trying to look forward to the Ducks, the Ducks kind of have that in Drysdale and Zegras. And if the Ducks can get to the yeah. point where they're able to utilize that to their advantage, that's that's a good first step. And at least you're eventually getting to that point where teams have to only have to game plan for that. And and here's the thing, and that's that's the I think the the saving grace for all of this for Newell Brown, if he does become the Ducks assistant coach that handles the power play. We don't know that yet, but people in the know seem to be at least saying it makes sense is that they do have that piece in Trevor Zegras that you can build around for a power play. So although the Ducks don't have the talent level of a Canucks power play maybe right now, even with like Pedersen and Hughes, maybe they do more than we think with just with Zegras alone and then building around him. So if a guy like Newell Brown comes in who has had success at the NHL level formulating power plays and just at least getting the most out of the available talent, well then, hey, that could be a really good sign for the Ducks because as we've said many, many times on this podcast, the power play has been really a sore spot. And it's not just us saying that. I mean, Dallas Akins has said that. Dallas Akins has said there's like a dark cloud hanging over them for the power play. So Bob clearly Murray. it's an area they need to improve. Bob Murray, Bob Murray has said, has said it, yeah. it multiple, multiple times. And it really seems like Mark Morrison is probably going to fall on that sword and probably rightfully uh, so if he he's the guy mm-hmm. that's supposed to be running the power play. It sounds as if from Bob Murray's comments that they kind of took that away from Mark Morrison as the yeah. season went along and gave it to Dallas Akins because it was just so poor. And Dallas Akins really took hold of that. So I, I, I think that all the stars aligning for Newell Brown coming back to Anaheim would make sense. I mean, Bob Murray loves a good retread. <laughs> look at look at Randy Carlisle. Look at Francois Beaujolais. Look at there there the, there's a laundry list. I think a lot of GMs do. They, yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily just a Bob. It's an Murray NHL thing. staple. To yeah, do that. because it's safe. It's something you know. You know what you're going to be getting. And I think with Newell Brown, I actually think it's not an awful decision because there's been enough time separated that you have this sample size of some success for him outside of the Ducks organization running a, a very good Canucks power play. And I mean, it's been over 10 years, over a decade since he was behind a Ducks bench. So I, I think a lot of things would make a lot of sense there. I think there's the familiarity aspect. I think the Samuelis know the guy if they want to hire him. Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to be this high profile, co- high cost assistant coach that is going to get paid significantly by someone else so i I mean he was just let go by the canucks who had uh a pretty poor season so i think if you're looking from a cost perspective for the ducks i don't think he's going to be this high cost guy so i think from that perspective it also makes some sense for them and so i think kind of all all things considered i could see this being announced in the next week or two interesting big prediction um Mm -hmm. let me ask you this just since we're on the topic of the power play which is one of my favorites Going into next season, what does your ideal like first unit look like for the Ducks on the power play? Ooh. So I can a... give you I can give you mine if you want. This is what's rolling around in my head. 
Uh, let me take a quick stab. So I think it's got to be Drysdale okay. at the point, Zegras on, on one side. Um, I think mm-hmm. you have to ha- you have to have uh, Comtois either front net or in the bumper position. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy Terry on the uh, uh, other side from uh, Trevor Zegras, and then honestly, I would probably have Comtois front net and Henrique in the bumper. Mm-hmm. So my only question there, and I agree with the, that selection of players. I mean, you could say maybe Fowler or Drysdale at, at the top as the as the guy at the point. I think either is or Kevin Shattenkirk, assuming he's still on the team by then. Um, the thing is, when we saw Zegras in the power play last season, he was often on the right on the right flank from the from the right circle, and he is a left-handed shot. And so do you put Troy Terry on his off wing on the left side on the left face-off circle, you know, so left facing the net. Um, that is kind of interesting to me because I feel like Troy Terry's best work, at least that I've seen on the power play has been when he is on mm-hmm. his strong side. And so do you, in, Where, instead which, of, which guy in, do you put on his offside? Basically, if you have both of them out there, or do you just put them both on their strong sides? Do you have Trevor Zegris? Do you put him over on the left and then have him mm-hmm. kind of be that dual threat of a shot and a pass. Because although I think Trevor Zegras is a super high ceiling offensively, at least right now, I don't think his one-timer is no, a huge not. strength. He hasn't had a lot of opportunities to showcase it just because of the way that the Ducks power play struggled so much to get set up. But I think if you have him on his strong side on the left, you can use that that dual threat of, you know, because he's got a good kind of pull pulling wrist shot. And then if you have Troy Terry on the right, who also has that, I think that can make for a very interesting kind of cross-ice passing between those two. Well, and then Henrique and Comtois between yeah, them. Yeah, I, I think Comtois is a front net – or uh, sorry, Henrique front net. And now that I think about it, I actually kind of think Troy Terry in the bumper position would be kind of interesting because of how good of his hands are. And then you have Comtois as a left-handed shot on the right side, keep uh, Zegers on the left side, and then you have a one-timer option for Zegers to feed to. Yeah. That could be interesting as well. I mean, I think that regardless, this fi- this group of five, uh, or at least this group of four forwards, should be yeah. the, the first power play unit. Yeah, I, I think Adam Henrique, for all the jokes everyone wants to make for everything with how the Ducks organization has treated him, if he's on the, in on this Ducks roster next year, he's still one of the most uh, effective guys at putting the puck in the back of the net for this Ducks franchise, yeah. even at his advanced age. And so I, I think he has to be there. I mean, what's interesting is, I mean, we both assume Ryan Getzloff is going to be back, and so neither of us mentioned him on that first power play. Or or someone else. Uh, who is the... A, 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 oh. certain tw- a certain 28-year-old Swedish winger. I didn't, winger. honestly... I, I, would put, I mean, I, you could put Raquel out there instead of Henrique. Yeah, so I... Well, I think Raquel could be in that left side if you want yeah. to keep Zegers on the right. Because yeah. he, could, he could be just that shooting option. The thing with the, with Raquel is he just hasn't really shown to be super effective from that side, but I still kind of want to see more of it, yeah. especially with Zegras over like a longer a longer sample. And the thing is, as we kind of piece together this power play, it kind of really puts into focus just how poor coaching has been for this Ducks power play because this shouldn't be that much of a rocket science type of situation. This shouldn't be that hard. And, and these are good players out there, and this power play should not be an 8% power play. Well, well, Jake, I mean, when you can start off training camp by putting Derek Grant at the net front, you have to do it, right? And as like, much as uh, as like, much like, as, like, as and as much as you and I have defended Danton Heinen, having him on the first power play unit over a guy like Troy Terry to start the season, mm-hmm. just well, just baffling, just well, I, out, I, way out there for this team. Well, I think 
especially towards the end of the of the season for Anaheim, when I think the coaching staff started making decisions that I would agree with more. I think that their power play started resembling something that like we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. My only thing that I would want to see change is I would I, I want them to get away from having this hard cutoff of at a minute or 45 seconds change units. I want to see that first unit get 90 seconds or like so, 80 seconds out there. It's funny that you bring that up because as I, I want to find this in this article, so I actually had closed the article, but there was something mentioned in that Canucks army post that kind of really stuck out to me after, uh, after kind of reading through it. And I want to find the exact line that they had, but it was, uh, here it is. The first unit began to, uh, stay. So, uh, basically you're talking about the fact of the stagnation and that Hughes and Pedersen connection, the teams were starting to eventually kind of key in on that. But one thing that you mentioned, or the article mentions is the first unit began to stay out longer and longer, often taking up the full two minutes of a man advantage. Mm-hmm. The, and then kind of went into like where well, the puck was going and how Washington that wasn't, does that to a degree. Yeah. yeah. And, and so if that's something that was kind of Newell Brown strategy and by, I mean, granted it didn't work out that well in certain senses, but I think that that shows there's more of a willingness to leave out that first unit, which I think would be an interesting kind of uh, uh, interesting in Anaheim to see what ends up happening because of Dallas Aikens appearing to, to really be dead set in the fact that the first unit's out there for a minute, the second unit then goes out. If that, I mean, sometimes they would be out there for like 45 seconds. Yeah. One other setup that I would be curious to see would be Zegers on the left. And this isn't a huge variation, but Zegers on the left Henrik or Contouan, the bumper or net front. So those two can kind of interchange and then Raquel on the right side and Shattenkirk at the top. I think yep. that though that setup would be really interesting. Another variation. Cause now we're just going all in on this one guy that, you know, cause the thing with net front is that the guy that's quote unquote net front doesn't actually have to be in front of it the entire time. That's the guy who's popping out along the goal line and who's working it down low and one guy that I think would be awesome for that spot would be Ryan Getzlaff. I mean, if he's on the team, which I think he will be, but if he yeah. if he if he is on the team, I think he would be great for that spot because that's kind of that's where he makes his money is down low, finding open guys, and he's big enough to where he can win those battles and just maintain possession. So that would be another option. So I think the big takeaway from this extended conversation about the power play strategy is the Ducks have enough pieces to where they should be able to put something together and make it work. And yeah. maybe Newell Brown will be that guy to do it. Yep. Um, is there any, so is there any consideration to uh, Isaac Lindstrom here or, or no. Max Jones? No. Max no. Jones, if anything is a front net presence, but I, I'd rather have Adam Henrique there. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. Like, I, I don't think it's that controversial either to say that. I no, mean, I, 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 I don't think so either. Adam Henrique is a career, like 16% shooter. And we talk about shooting regression, but over a certain period of time, sometimes mm-hmm. that just stays that high because of the shooting talent. And Adam Henrique has shown that he has the talent to put the puck in the back of the net at a high rate. And Max Jones hasn't done that. Mm-hmm. That plain and simple. Yeah. And, and you can run everything through Trevor Zegras. That's yep. the beauty of having an elite playmaker. Oh, I mean, if you're Newell Brown, you have to be licking your chops, honestly, at the idea mm-hmm. of coming to Anaheim because you've just left uh, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. Now you're going to have Jamie Drysdale and uh, Trevor Zegras to work with. Like the, yeah. that, that, that's a dream to go from that situation to this one. Um, yeah. And, and Jamie Drysdale did show some flashes in the offensive zone. And when we, when we were kind of profiling him for the draft, I don't think any of us said that he 
was projecting as a power play quarterback, but a guy yeah. who could contribute on a power play. And he's got the mobility and the, the passing vision to just keep the wheels moving. That's kind of what I saw the most from him on the power play for them this season is just his ability to walk the blue line. And it's not necessarily finding a shot or playmaking, but it's uh, it's essentially him being able to to walk the line and draw guys to him and feed it to more wide open Trevor Zegras as a result of it. Yeah, and I think what's important for the Ducks for right now in terms of establishing their confidence, establishing their continuity on the power play is having guys who will help maintain puck possession to just stay in the zone as long as you possibly can to get your reps in game situations. Because it's one thing in practice when you're going against the penalty killers and, you know, the taxi squad, but in a, in a live game, it's, it's a completely different beast. So it will be very fascinating to see what the ducks are going to end up doing there and, and just how it will look. It's funny, despite this team being so bad last season, I'm still very curious to see what those little changes will be going into yeah. next year. Yep, definitely. That's that's why we do this podcast because mm-hmm. we we are interested in this stuff. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, do you want to do you want to get into the questions? To yep. The Twitter questions. Let Let's get into it. So uh, we will be able to uh, I have get the into list some. Here. Yeah. So we're gonna get into these questions, and then afterwards, we obviously will have time for Twitch questions. So this yeah. is basically out. I, I mean, that was really our only topic was talking about Newell Brown. Yeah. So the rest of this is kind of just gonna be answering questions going through it so uh level two pid uh we will uh i see your question we'll get to that kind of after we run through all of these questions from twitter or, and we'll get to all the twitch questions afterwards um so yeah so go for it yeah so i think some of these you know we'll try to go as in depth as we can others you know we'll, we'll give the answer that, that that we can come up with here this is going to be this is going to be shooting from the hip so it, it could go any which way let's start with this question from jammy uh, what are the Ducks going to do with all that cap room? Hmm. That that I'm, is the that that is that so is so. I've broken this down a couple different times now. So the Ducks they will have if they kind of give out all the contracts based on evolving hockey's uh, projections uh, for all the different contracts. They will end up with probably about seven million in cap space, roughly, and that's pre-using uh, Ryan Kessler's LTIR. So if they want to get up to the cap and then use LTIR in, in addition to that, they can. Um, it does seem as if there is a very there is an internal budget though. When you look at Bob Murray's quotes, you look at a lot of different things. So it would not shock me if the Ducks just kind of utilize that cap space. I mean, honestly, if I was, uh, if I had full uh, permission so by, from the Sam, by, by utilize that cap space, do you mean like they're going to use all of it? Or sorry, I, sorry, let me rephrase that. I don't think that the Ducks are going to utilize it. I okay. think that that that's just going to stay there. They're they're going to essentially keep that. Um, keep that, I guess, for next. Or you can't really roll it over at all. So but j- just um, a quick question: accrue it all. When you're counting this up, are you including potentially Getzlav coming yes. back? Okay. Yes. Got it. Okay. Yep. Getzlav coming back. Stolarz becoming the the backup goalie for the Ducks next season. Some guys on ELCs coming up. Different all all different situations. They should end up with about seven million or so in cap space. Um, having said that, if I was the GM, if I had full permission from the Samuelis to spend a little bit more money. What I would do is one of two things, and there's actually another question on this that I think is a very interesting one that we can get into slightly, but I would either uh, look at acquiring a bad money deal, maybe being someone that can jump in and take a bad money deal from a team that's in desperate situation with Seattle and take a pick from them as a result of it, and then they get to keep the player that they want to keep from uh, instead of Seattle taking them. So essentially coming in to make this side deal to to screw over Seattle a little bit 
or just taking on a bad money deal in general to help out a team that's in a cap uh cap bind mm-hmm. and um so i would look to that if there's a short-term one-year deal for that 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 some but some team wants to get off their uh their cap sheet and you can pick up an additional pick for it um or i would look to kind of this is a question we'll get into signing a guy um maybe to a little bit more money than i'd be comfortable comfortable with but on a one-year deal maybe a more veteran type of player that then you can flip at the deadline for picks and a guy that maybe maybe he fits the mold of a culture type signing that you want and Mm -hmm. maybe you can help with that help uh mentor a guy like zegris and things like that and there's a name that i don't think he's that great of a player but i think he it's essentially a guy that just would fill a spot the issue for the ducks is they don't necessarily have too many of those types of spots but I, I think that it would be interesting to do that because you could then flip them for picks at the deadline. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. I think that that would be a wise use of cap space because as Bob Marie alluded to in his end of season press conference, this is kind of an interesting marketplace with a lot of teams being stressed by the flat cap and cap space being an asset. And so maybe the Ducks will explore that avenue. I mean, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all because I think for this team, it, it doesn't make sense to go out and try to get a free agent to, well, to actually try to yeah. make the playoffs next year or something and like that. And especially if you try to move out an Adam Henrique, if you move out a Jacob Silverberg, if you move out these guys that people say are the culture type of guys for this team and you move them out for cap uh, purposes, I think bringing in a guy, and this is a name that I'll kind of bring up or discuss a little bit more in depth, but I think a Nick Felino, if he would take a one-year deal, I think that would potentially be an interesting type of player to bring in. If you're looking for that culture type of player, I don't think he's necessarily the best player out there. No, but if he he's a guy that kind of fits that mold, and the main reason for it is I think he fits that mold, and he would get you something in return at the deadline. Yeah, because but, what but he that, brings is valued. The value there is contingent on the Ducks actually flipping Flip, him at the deadline. Yes, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Which wait. who knows if they would do it, but that that's mainly why that name is sticking out to me. That I'm like, Nick Foligno was just moved for a first round pick. There's no way another team like a team wouldn't do that again next summer or next the, the, deadline. The league clearly values him, and especially if he were to play on the Ducks, you'd assume he'd get a lot of opportunities to yep. you know pile of points and kind of he, showcase. He could himself. be that front. He could be the front net present on presence on that first power play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think that it is important to kind of just highlight here, though, that potentially that narrative of the Ducks having cap room this summer and this kind of being a huge you know turning of the page summer isn't it's not really that no no look, i looking mean at it they have the space if they want to go out and make an eichel deal they do have the space to do that they would probably if i were them i would want to move out additional money to make that work though because mm-hmm. i would not make that deal and then go into ltir as a result of it i would try to find ways to get myself cap compliant while adding that deal whether yeah. whether, whether that is something as dumb as buying out an adam henrique or a jacob silverberg who knows? But the Eichel the Eichel situation, it it's yeah happening. I mean, it's it, happening. It it the noise is growing, and the noise is growing for the Ducks also. I think specifically. Yeah, I mean that's the part that really fascinates me about all this is that if the Ducks are actually going to inquire on Eichel again, or you know, or if they're going they're going to try that this summer, I just. How far are they willing to go to bring in a Jack Eichel? Well, and, and because does it makes sense. I mean, this is a whole separate podcast, but <laughs> yeah, and we have a question on this, and we'll, we'll let's keep it shorter when we get to that mm-hmm. answer. But I mean, it's so easy to connect the dots, though. Here, where I didn't think they would do it, but I mean, it's so easy to connect the dots with Bob Murray saying that he wants to go out and make a big move. He wants to bring in offense. He wants to do this, 
and there's a potential top 10 player in the league available mm. that wants out. And I mean, that kind of exactly fits the mold of what the ducks need. And so we'll, let we'll you, see. Let, let me ask you this. There, one of the retorts to specifically for the Kings and there, cause you know, there were reports this week of the Kings kind of just being out on Eichel and, and that that's not no longer a possibility. For, you know, and and one of the part of the reasoning there is that well, Eichel isn't the guy that you kind of move heaven and earth for to get, and and to bring in to kind of give you that boost. Do you agree with that? Do you think that there really is this kind of cloud hanging over Eichel that makes him not worth bringing in? No. Yeah, I I mean I understand that like, he's I, he, I, he's I, had I, some public frustrations in Buffalo, but look at that situation. And and I get the narrative, and I get like maybe some people might not think he's he's as good as he's maybe been hyped up to be. Uh, may, I think a lot of, just due to him being in Buffalo, and I think the comparison's always going to be there between him and McDavid because of going one two in that draft. But um, after kind of you and I on, on our Patreon podcast did our did ranking our of our top players? our top ten, I did not have Eichel in my top ten, but I had, I had him, him just, number eight, I think seven yeah, or eight. Yeah, I had him just missing out on my top ten. But kind of putting that that entire thing together, doing all that, it made me realize though just how good he actually is. And I didn't ha- even expect him to ha- or expected to have him close to my top ten. And kind of after that, I'm like, okay, I've been underrating him, and I've kind of been in that boat uh, of that. But I mean, he's a guy that that's been putting up. He put up 78 points in 68 games in 1920 as a 23 year old. 82 points in 77 games in 1819 as a 22-year-old. Uh, 64 points in 67 games as a 21-year-old. These are all on. This is all on very bad teams in Buffalo. And mm. even this past season, when Buffalo was just the absolute like shithole of the entire league. Mm. Let, let's be real here. Um, he still put up 18 points in 21 games. Yeah, I mean, I think with Eichel. The biggest value to me of getting Eichel outside of the fact that you're getting a legitimate first line center is the possibility of having a, an Eichel Zegras one two punch down the middle. Yeah. Because I, I think that that really elevates Trevor Zegras because it takes it, so much pressure off of yep. him. Yep. And, and you make the point a lot that hockey can be a very, very much a strong link game. Uh, and the fact that you're now adding this number one center, that gives you a strong link there. And uh, it, it's a really like. It really you need, you uh, need stars to win. <laughs> yes, and it really improves the Ducks' long-term outlook, and it also gives you a guy that him and Zegers can both be on the power play together. So, I mean, who knows if they do it? Who knows what's what it's going to take? And, and we have a question actually about that, so we'll get into that when we get to that question. Yeah, well, I, I read a, a good article on Expected Buffalo, which is a good blog I want you to check out about like what what the the Ducks may potentially pay in an Eichel trade. It was more from like a Sabers perspective, but. Something in the neighborhood of you know Contois, a pick, a roster player, and then another pick, and I and I think one of those picks would have been the pick this year. And I think when you're a Ducks fan, it's really jarring to see names like that going back and picks going back. But Eichel is a star level player, and and he's in his prime. He's entering I mean, his prime, and here, so you're you're going to have to pay a high cost. And so I could like where I've kind of settled on this, and I've I've definitely gone back and forth a lot on this topic. Same. There is there is a, there there are two strong cases to me where there's a case of you know you don't want to t- totally gut the system, you know throw all your chips into the middle of the table to get this star to get this one player and then just hope it works. But on the same side, getting a star player like accumulating those assets is part of the reason it gives you that flexibility to go out and get those stars because realistically, 
having a bunch of you know potentially solid depth guys isn't as valuable as having one star player. Yeah. And so, again, I don't really have a hard stance either way, but I think it's it's not fair to just say, oh, they I, shouldn't do it at all, or, yeah. or they should absolutely do it. You know, I will say this: if the Ducks would have actually sold guys over the last year or two. I would be a lot more comfortable with selling a bunch of guys this uh, to get Eichel, where you have more assets to be able to to do it. But having said that, that that trade that you mentioned, I would do that because that deal. Although yes, it sucks to not have your third overall pick. At best, I mean, if Matty Beniers drops to third, does Matty Beniers become Jack Eichel? No, no, one hundred percent not. No, and so I I think if you can do a third overall pick plus Max Comtois. Plus, I mean, some Henrik or Silverberg for salary and a second round pick. I do that. Yeah, well, well, that's the thing. And if it costs you two firsts, that that's that's a tough pill to swallow. But if if one of those firsts is this year, a draft that you're not hugely excited about, and you know next year would be rough, but you are getting Jack Eichel, and that's yeah. exciting, and that and that changes your long term outlook. Yeah, um, and especially and-, and especially if Buffalo kind of still wants like they still want to chase the playoffs and so maybe they want an, a Henrik or a Silverberg mm-hmm. that also it, helps you and long term and it's and it's easy to sell that we now have the first and the third overall pick in this draft exactly so maybe I'm talking myself into it a little bit yeah. you know slowly but surely but again if if you come at me and, and tell me yeah they shouldn't do it I don't think that's a crazy take because I, I, I think it's agreed. a defensible take yeah agreed agreed completely um so, so, yeah. so before we get into to some more topics on this and some more questions that we have, I, I think it's about ti- uh, time for a word from our sponsor. Yes, 100%. So, kick your summer off in style with a brand that's reinventing men's basics, Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is so much more than just underwear. Their full collection includes t-shirts, polos, button-ups, shorts, pants, swims, and so much more with, with light and breathable fabric, technology, uh, Mac Weldon keeps you cool and comfortable all summer from working from work to working out happy hour to playing with your kids. Mac Weldon has men's essentials for whatever your day includes. And so, I mean, your usual summer activities, I mean, Felix, you and I are both, both big on going on walks throughout the day, um, doing those different types of things like that. They have their new Maverick tech Chino short or their Mac Weldon swim short or radius short, all these different shorts. Um, that you can wear that are perfect for any sort of occasion like that. They kind of are able to uh, to keep you nice and, and and cool on your walk on a summer day. Um, you know, you can look good doing it. They also have their Vesper Polo, which is a nice, light, breathable polo. And, I mean, their swim trunk and board short, though, options. I mean, you, you've mentioned this a couple times. I don't know if it's been on this podcast or our Patreon, but you like to go for your beach swims. <laughs> you you like going especially after working out for a nice little cool down swim for mm-hmm. for your muscles i mean felix they their board shorts their trunks quick dry four-way stretch fabric i mean what more do you want right yeah i actually recently got the four-way active short and it's been a great addition to my wardrobe because it's extremely comfortable and like their other like the like the the, the pants that they have the radius pants different things like that you can use it for anything. I can work out in them. I can squat in them. I can go on, I can go on a run, but I can also like go out, hang out with friends. And like, it looks like something that is presentable. And so I can't recommend Mack Weldon enough to be honest with you, the, the material, like for their underwear, their t-shirts, the Pima crew neck t-shirt, it's just so comfortable. And especially right now in Southern California, as it's heating up this summer, I mean, this weekend it was pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it's the way to go and it's affordable. And especially if you use their code, I think you're going to get a lot of benefit out of it. Yep. And they also have, I mean, speaking of affordable, they have a free loyalty program uh, called Weldon Blue. Level one gets you free shipping for life. Once you reach level two by spending $200, you get 20% off every order for the next year. Stay cool this summer and look great doing it with the all new collection of men's essentials from Mac Weldon. So for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash CTP and enter the code CTP. That's CTP like crash the pond. Um, that's MacWeldon.com slash CTP, promo code CTP for 20% off. MacWeldon reinventing men's basics. Yeah, go check them out, please. I, I can't recommend it enough. It's just so comfortable. So go do that. Help us yes. out and help yourself out. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, you want to get through the, the rest of these questions? Sure. Let, let's kind of start blitzing through some of them. We have some, some Twitch questions, so we'll get to those. Hold on to your questions. Bring us the dingus. I'm seeing this. Uh, we'll, we'll jump back on Eichel and everything like that, but we're just going to blitz through these, uh, Twitter questions right now. Yeah. So some of these, I mean, are, are just kind of fun. This one is from B Matsubara, which is why do you hate Luke Hughes? So I don't know if this was asked to, you know, actually wanting an answer or just trying to call us out. I don't know. I just want to say, don't hate Luke Hughes. <laughs> um, I guess maybe our takes can be really strong either way on players, and we have really we have a lot of belief in in our takes on certain guys or analysis. Don't hate Luke Hughes, though. He's just not a guy that I would draft at number three. I think yep. that there is definite there is definite upside with him. I think he's he's clearly got that ability to transition the puck to defend uh, both off the rush and in his own zone. But there are red flags with just his maturity level. With there's an injury history there, and so I think now it's easier to make this case because I just think at number three, the risk to me doesn't seem to be worth yeah. what you might get for him. And, and a very good second pairing defenseman, possibly he, a first pairing guy. He does have offensive upside that some of the other guys do not. I mean, I think he's below Brant Clark in that, and I think that's yeah, kind of where. But, but he's he's good at carrying the puck up ice, which is a yes, valuable skill. Yes, yes, definitely. But I think Brant Clark's a little bit more dynamic. I mean, maybe Brant Clark falls off for you because his skating's not as good as Luke Hughes' skating. But I, there is a concern uh, for me with Luke Hughes and the injury, the fact that it, it's, uh, I believe, an ankle injury, which can be significant with your skating stride, and it can take a long time for your ankle to heal, and it may not ever heal up in that same way. And so in the same way Peyton Krebs fell a little bit for his Achilles injury uh, a couple seasons ago, I think Luke Hughes kind of is falling into that same boat. Yeah, For better guess- or for worse. Yeah, and just to, to finish on a pause note, I mean, he is younger for the class, so there's, yes. there's definitely room for growth there. Uh, but no, we I I do not hate him. I don't think Jake hates him either. Nope, uh, I think he's a just, top ten. He's a top ten draft uh, talent, like totally worthy of being in this kind of group of players, but just not who I personally would select where the Ducks are at. So mm-hmm. hopefully that addresses that. Um, let's go to this one from Krim, which is. What are the moves each of you think need to be made through both drafts, trades, free agents, et cetera, for this to be construed as a successful offseason? So that's kind of an interesting thought. I mean, I guess big picture, once the dust settles, what do you think will have made this a successful offseason for the Ducks? Yeah, so that's an interesting question because I think it depends on what you think the outlook for this franchise is next Well, he's asking season. us. So no, I, I, I know, I, I know, yeah, yeah. I know. But, I, but I'm setting it up that I think that that's an important thing to, to set the stage on. I think for me, it's finally embracing this rebuild. And I think that 
Uh, setting up this team, not necessarily for success next season as being the priority, but setting it up for long-term success should so, be the priority. And so I think that for me personally, it's gotta be, you gotta look to move out a guy with value, move out an Adam or move out uh, a Ricard Raquel, move out a Josh Manson, move out these guys with some value and recoup some, some younger talent, uh, reset the roster, get it younger. Uh, the Ross, the Ducks roster is in this weird spot where they kind of almost have these two different kind of main cores of the roster. They have their prime age talent, uh, and then they have their kind of younger talent that the, the, so, the middle-aged players as bomber would call them. Yeah. So they've got their group. That's like 20 to 23, 20 to 24. And they've got their like 27 to 30 year olds. And mm-hmm. the, the issue for this franchise is those 27 to 30 year olds are not good enough to be the core of a team. And, and that's just, that's not like, I'm not trying to make that a mean statement or rude statement, anything like that. It's just the truth of the situation. And that's kind of where the ducks. Well, also the, the compounding issue is that they are going to be free agents next off season. Correct. And, and the longer you wait, the, the more their value goes down. And if you do that end too. up, re- and if you do end up resigning them, their performance will likely decline and it will reduce your ability to maximize the primes of your Zegers's of your yep. contours of your Terry's. So yep. I think that I, I 100% agree with that. I think that, all in all, if the Ducks just do absolutely nothing this offseason, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but I don't think it would be this this kind of smashing success either. I, I do agree with you. They need to make some kind of bold move, and not just for the sake of doing it, like we've just laid out here. There are good reasons to move on from at least one of these players, ideally all of them. I think if you really want to go scorched earth, I don't think it would be the worst thing. I, I mean, let's just say... If you're the Ducks, and I think if they end up moving for, if they end up getting a Jack Eichel and you have to move your third overall pick, I think if you then can flip a, a Josh Manson or a Ricard Raquel for a first rounder, even if it's a later first rounder to a, 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 a team that's in the playoff mix or something along those lines, and you get their first rounder for this year, you're at least kind of re- adding a, a player back into your prospect system with a, a, teen, a pick in the teens or in the 20s. And I think that that would be a really smart move for this Ducks franchise where, yes, you're able, you're losing your third overall pick, but you're at least getting another first round pick for later in the draft. Yeah. And, and selfishly, I think another reason why I think they, I want to see them do something is because at the trade deadline, when you and I were being critical of the fact that the Ducks stood pat, every, you know, the, <laughs> overwhelm, the yeah. overwhelming response was, well, you know, just wait until the summer. Obviously, they were never going to get what they wanted now. So it's all about the summer. So it's like, OK, well, let's see it. Let, let's see it yeah. happen. If this is supposed to be the, the pie in the sky, well, I, I want to see it happen. So essentially, I put your money where your mouth is situation. Exactly. But but removing all personal bias, I do think that just looking at the way this team is structured and how they can be most successful long term and in the most sustainable fashion, they do need to move on from one of these players, at least one of these players. So I think that answers the question. Let's uh, let's move on to this question from Dalton Keys, friend of the show. Can you think of any free agents? I think you already touched on this a little bit. Can you think of any free agents that would sign a one year deal that the Ducks may target? so they could potentially be flipped at the deadline. So you brought up Nick Felino, and do you have any other ideas or do you want to expand on Nick Felino? I mean, I, I think Nick Felino is an interesting one. It depends on if they end up um, if they end up moving out in Adam Henrique. There is a little bit of a hole at the center position, uh, depending on, on kind of where things end up falling, depending on, I mean, who knows what happens with Derek Grant, if they want to keep Derek Grant, or if they end up doing what they should do and put him in the AHL or do buy him out or something or trade him. Who knows? I mean, Nick Felino is your fourth-line center. I mean, it would be an improvement on Derek Grant, but, I mean, anyone's really an improvement on Derek Grant. And I think uh, one of the things I mentioned with him was that he ha- he will have trade value well the ducks uh, have a bunch of centers for next season 
that that's kind well, of it. True. Another, that would be another, that would, another that subplot. If, well, if they move out Henrique, they would have Zegras, Getzloff, Lundstrom, Grant. Well, Sam Steele. Oh yeah, still there. <laughs> Sam Steele should be moved to the wing. There's that all. So so fair enough. But I mean, I guess mm-hmm. the other thing is if you move out Josh Manson, you might want to look at bringing in a right shot defenseman. So maybe you look at like a Jason Demers, and Ian, I don't think Demers has that much value. So Ian Cole, like a depth defenseman. yeah, Ian Cole. I don't know. I think David Savard will actually take a pretty penny to get. I but if Dave, if if you could get David Savard on a one year deal, um, that might work well. Um, but I don't Tom- think Tomas that that. Tatar. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so I'm just kind of looking through this. I mean, looking at maybe a depth defenseman, right-hand shot defenseman, I mean, maybe the Ducks look at bringing back... Brandon Montour. Oh, no, that was not where I was going with (laughs) that. I was going with uh, Eric Goodbranson. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, I feel like the the Ducks do have defensemen. It's just I mean, they're unwilling to play some of them. They they could end up just uh, bringing back Yanni Hockenpah also. And flipping well, him again at the deadline. Maybe Cody Curran will will get to play in the NHL at some point. I think I think it's more likely they bring back Yanni Hockenpah than Cody Curran getting a look. I think you're probably right. So yeah, yeah I, I think that to kind of over, to give you an overarching answer here, Dalton, it's just I don't know if there's a lot to be gained for, for the Ducks in this free agent class. I mean, that could probably be true for a lot of teams in the NHL is to stay away from free agents. I think to me, unrestricted free agency is for the teams that are on the cusp that are of, of yeah. you know, of, of kind of like a couple of moves away. They're tweaking their roster, but the, the base has been set. And that's not really where the Ducks are at right now. And in, in they're no, kind of I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you're going to make a lot of mistakes on, on UFA deals. You're going to overpay for guys for way too long. And the thing is, it sucks. It shouldn't work this way. But at the end of the day, you can at least stomach that somewhat when you're contending and, and eat the later parts of the deal. I mean, look at what the Ducks are doing with Ryan Kessler right now. That that, mm-hmm. that That's almost standard practice in the NHL now is that you end up uh, in this awful position and uh, at the end of the deal. But you do that to give yourself these players in your contending window. Yeah. What did Bob uh, Murray say in his interview? Everybody has some funky contracts. Yeah. Something <laughs> along those lines. So, yeah. So, I mean... I'm looking at the list. I mean, Brandon Saad would be a really nice get, but I don't. It wouldn't make any again, sense for them again, to sign it's like, it. What, it's like what? It's like yeah, good player, but what's the point? Yeah, and, and so uh, yeah, J- level two Pittig is asking once Egress and Drysdale are up for deals, you're not going to want Demers or Felino. No, and the whole purpose I'm bringing up Felino and Demers. These aren't Look. players that I think that they need should sign to make the Ducks better. I think that these are all players that I'm bringing up that I think the Ducks should sign to one year deals so that they or can flip. Year. One no one 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 year deal to flip them at the deadline as UFAs, sure or potentially two because maybe a team will perceive that as better value for them to then maybe. have another run. I mean, yeah, it depends. I mean, a lo- the issue here is that a lot of teams are going to be in a cap strap world yeah. for a long time with the flat cap, and so I don't think teams actually will will want guys with term going forward at the deadline. Teams are, I mean, you heard Kyle Dubas mention it at the this past deadline that basically. He typically likes to find guys with term, and this year rentals make more sense because of the cap flat and so yeah. that or flat cap. And so that's kind of where I'm at with this: is you sign a, a Nick Felino to a one year deal with the understanding he's going to come in, he gets to bring his family to Orange County for uh for a six month uh, vacation, and then he can a go nice, chase a cup somewhere else. A nice staycation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well so, let's move let's move on here to this question from from Z13 Ducks, and I actually want to point out. Because I forgot to mention this earlier, we talked about the the shoot for Zegras at, at the beach with for Bauer Hockey. And one thing that I don't think anyone else I've, I haven't seen anyone else bring up, but at that specific part of the beach, and um, 
this isn't a brag at all, but I live right by there. And so that's where like all the beach hockey happens. Like the Contois pictures you saw over the summer, the beach hockey league, like that's where he plays. And that lifeguard tower that was right in the background of that shoot had number 13 on it. And I'm sure, I don't know if it was intentional. But I think know- you're the only person that noticed it. <laughs> Trevor Zegers' number in college was number 13 coming up. And, you know, there's been some jokes even among the media of, hey, are, is 46 your actual number? So maybe it was intentional. So anyway, Z13 Ducks, thank you for evoking that because uh, I think that that was an important Easter egg that nobody else noticed. How dare how dare you all? <laughs> okay. Wow. Anyway, anyway wow. I, actually, I, I like this question, though. So do you think that we will see any prospects take a jump to the NHL out of camp besides Drysdale and Zegris, Perot maybe, or to the AHL like Thrun, Lacombe, or Tracy? So for Thrun, Lacombe, or Tracy, um, I mean, I think, I think Tracy will be in the, in the AHL next season. I don't think, is he even eligible to go back to junior? I think he can go back to junior, but it would be as one of the overagers in the WHL. And I have no idea if maybe they may end up like amending their rules or creating an addendum to their rules for this next season to allow overagers come back for an extra year. I mean, year. he might, he might actually benefit. From yeah. I, I wonder if they look at doing that, but most likely Braden Tracy's going to end up in the AHL next year. Lacombe or Thrun. I think I've heard Lacombe is going back for sure for another year. Thrun, I think, is going to go back. I mean, here's the thing with those guys is um, we would have probably heard by now or we'll hear in the next little bit if -hmm. they sign their their entry-level deal. Um, And if they don't sign their – basically, the the reason for that, the purpose of that or needing to know that is that if they don't have not signed their entry-level deals, that makes them still eligible to go back to the NCAA. So if they haven't done that, I would assume they're not going to be in the NHL next year. They're not going to be at training camp. These are guys that will want another year. It would make sense for Thrun to want another go at it at Harvard. Um, well, especially to, with – I mean, did they even have a season this year? I don't think no. they did at Harvard. He, yeah, he ended so. up going – no, so he ended up going to the – He went to the USHL. Uh, the, I think he played for the, Dubu- the, the Dubuque, fighting, Dubu- uh, Dubuque Fighting Saints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's who yeah. he ended up playing for. So, uh, Perot's an interesting one. I mean, he didn't even get a sniff of the NHL, so I would think that Perot is going to end up uh, back at the AHL, or sorry, back in junior next year. By the way, just want to mention, bring us the dingus, brings us up, and I feel very sad that I forgot to mention this when talking about guy free agents that the Ducks should sign to them flip. Uh, the reunion of the RPG line. Yeah, Bobby Ryan. Bring him Bobby back Ryan. Corey Perry. Yeah, there's no way that's happening now that Bob Murray's still with the team. It's not happening, but... Man, would it be fun? Oh, and be so- uh, if, if if you think that that idea is stupid or that we're just we're dumb for saying that, well, whatever. Go <laughs> go kick a rock really hard. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Jacob Pro, I mean, he is an interesting one because I mean, when we did watch him in the AHL this year, look good, but he's got his options are very limited. So I mean, I think Junior probably is what's yeah, going to happen there. I, I think the only player that maybe could is some a name that's been mentioned a little bit in the uh, Twitch chat is Bo Grew. That would maybe be the only name that maybe would get a sniff of the NHL um, in terms of a prospect to, to start making his name. And that that's kind of where I'm at with it also. Well, I mean, I think, you know, depending on the injury situation, Lucas Dostal could get some. I mean, it's very possible that Dostal gets some games next year. I mean, yeah. depending on, I mean, John Gibson could get hurt. Anthony Stolarz could get hurt. And so he could come mm-hmm. up. And maybe he makes an impression and maybe it's very unlikely that you go an entire season without one of your goalies getting hurt. Exactly. And so, but outside of that, I mean, the way that the ducks minor league system is kind of structured right now, there aren't, there aren't really prospects that are just kind of right on that cusp of making the leap. Uh, You know, I mean, even grew, I know there are people who really like grew and I've definitely liked the games that I've seen of him in the minors this year, but 
maybe another like a, a real season in the AHL may benefit him uh, yeah. just to kind of just to kind of get further experience. And also, as we were just talking about, there is a bit of a log jam down the middle for Anaheim. And depending, I mean, maybe Sam Steele gets moved this summer and, and maybe that frees up space for him. But I don't really see how he makes that leap next year unless something really changes at the top. Yeah, uh, Caitlin, and kind of this is a, a good follow-up to that. Caitlin Van Els, uh, Kate VA 48 asks, and I think this kind of goes in line with that last question, any chance any of the top prospects play next year in the NHL besides maybe Beneers or Powers? Yeah, so for the top, I mean, specifically, I guess, for who the Ducks may draft, I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, like, Power is not going to play next year. It's, yeah, he's, he, he's, he's going back. He, he's mentioning that he wants to go back for another year at Michigan. It wouldn't mm-hmm. shock me if Matty Beniers is the same way. Yeah, I mean, Beniers has a very pro-ready profile, but maybe he he makes that same jump. And then, I mean, from the guys that we've talked about on this pod, Brant Clark, William Eklund, none of these guys really profile as guys who are going to make an immediate leap. And so... I mean, that's, again, part of the reason that people are down in this class is there are not guys who are profiling yeah. to be super ready. Um, so it's a good question because, you know, last year when we were discussing the draft, that was one of the components of our evaluation was how ready is this guy. And I think for this year, you kind of have to throw that out the window a little bit because most of the guys aren't. Yeah. And okay. we got a couple more. So let's just blitz through these questions. Clark, uh, Ducks 2007 Quack asks, what's more likely, the Ducks making their draft pick or trading it? And do you have a bold prediction for the Ducks offseason? My bold prediction is that they, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I think that, I think they will make one one significant trade. How about that? There's my bold prediction. They make one significant trade. I don't don't know who it'll be. I don't know what. Okay. The first part of the question, what's more likely them trading their draft pick or making their draft pick? I think they'll make their pick. Yeah, same. Um, and Clark also, we had mentioned already I, about the trade package for Eichel. So we already had kind of mentioned that, but Duncan asked at Ginge Gantor, and this is directly at you. Will the Warriors be a championship contender next year? You didn't say it had to be a hockey question. This is specifically at you. Uh, yes, they will be. Okay. Clayton uh, healthy Steph Curry MVP mode. Yes. Yeah. I got nothing to add to this. So let's just go with that. <laughs> uh, uh, time asks, will the ducks have a better record next season? I think that a full season of Trevor Zegras not being just jerked around the lineup and up and down between the AHL and the NHL, I think that that will make a big difference. I think that they will be a slightly better team next year, but I don't know by how much more. And then Scott, and so I'm going to get to Twitch questions. I will scan up and go to kind of old ones, but if you have questions, start throwing them in the Twitch chat. Final one is, will Aiken survive? This is from our good buddy, Kestrel Scott. Uh, Will Aiken survive till the All-Star break? I think he gets through the whole season. I think he gets through the whole season also. I have I think there's one more from Twitter. Oh, there is? Yeah, this is from DB Lowry. Good okay. friend of the show. Yeah, he yeah, says yeah. should the Avs look for a package from the Ducks, Lindholm, Henrique, and Gibson would all seem to be good ads for the Avs needs, plus they have the young assets environment and new hook. So this is something that I did kind of want to talk about with you is Colorado Avalanche lose against the Vegas Golden Knights in shocking fashion. And um, do you think that they look to, to upgrade a net? And d- does the Gibson conversation pick up at all? I mean, isn't Grubauer, I feel like he's a UFA, isn't he? Yes. So, I mean, that does impact it, where, whether what he wants. And maybe they do look at uh, improving it. And if, uh, I mean, John Gibson would be a great person for them to look at. If I'm the Ducks, 
yeah, the conversation. What was the the question specifically again from DB Lowry? So it said, should the Abs? So this is, I guess, from an Avalanche perspective. Should they look for a package from the Ducks? Lindholm, Henrique, and Gibson would all seem like good abs for the abs needs. Plus, they have the young assets in Byram and New Hope. So it's not specifically about Gibson, yeah. but is yeah, yeah, there yeah. a trade to be made between these two teams? Yes, I, I think that there is. I think you can also throw out the window the the in uh, division aspect of it because they will not be yeah. in the same well, division, which does impact not, this somewhat. Even if it's not Gibson, like Lindholm it would would be a good get for the abs. Yeah. Bring, bring in a solid defensive Left-hand- defenseman. Left-hand shot defenseman, because I think, what, Kael McCarr's right-hand shot? Am I... Yeah, to, to, to kind of supplement their blue line a little bit. And that wouldn't be as hard of a trade to pull off, I don't think, just because of Lindholm's contract status. And then maybe you get a pick and a prospect out of that. The Gibson one is interesting to me just because that is a harder one to pull off with, with yeah. his contract and I mean, what it would cost. Do you think Lindholm could get you new hook? Well, I mean, where does he rank in their prospect pecking order? Is he... He's probably one step below Byram. Yeah, one step below Byram. Would they do that? Like, is that? I mean, Newhook was playing for them in the playoffs already. Yeah, I mean, if you can pull that off, if you're the Ducks, then yes. (laughs) Like from a Ducks perspective, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I I don't know if the Abs do that. I mean, the thing with the Abs is, I, I just don't know how they react to this to what just happened to them. Yeah, and you know, do you just completely run it back and say, well, we were missing Nazem Kadri? And short, small sample size, every everything that you should be saying after this type of thing. But they did get handily outplayed in in like a few games in a row there. And Grubauer was not great in that playoff series. So, I mean, I think if you're the Avalanche, Lindholm and Gibson are probably the guys that you want to target. Would would you do Lindholm and Gibson for Newhook and Byram, and then a contract to make things work? Yes. Would the Avalanche do that? You had Lindholm and Gibson. They might. I mean, that like for for where they are in their arc, that makes a lot of sense because you're solidifying mm-hmm. basically everything that they could stand to to improve in, right? So defensive depth, mm-hmm. and then in net. And yep. yes, it and, does. And cost the Ducks your, and and the Ducks like, do well, get a the Ducks get a, a dynamic forward in, in New Hook, and they get a dynamic defenseman in Byram. I don't know if the Avs do that because there is, you know, their approach has been to kind of stay the course and to just be patient, mm-hmm. but they are very close. And you saw Nathan McKinnon's demeanor in his, in his press conference after that game. And so who knows? I mean, who knows what direction they go, but I think it's a fun topic because maybe something will happen there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Avs probably don't do that, but I mean, here's the thing. They don't do they, lose. Do, do they? Do they get impatient? Like, do they just say? Well, it's not uh, only no. do they get impatient, but it's also looking at. I mean, you look at what McKinnon, for instance, McKinnon's uh, post game comments that he's been in the league for ten years and hasn't won shit. I think that was his exact word wording. Um, and, and so you're not going to be losing anyone from your actual roster. Newhook was playing, but he was in a lower role, and Bone Byron was playing from time to time, but he was not a set uh set player for this roster the ducks are adding highly talented players that are younger that will help the ducks contending window whereas the avalanche are getting guys that help them now i think if you were to look at the avalanche and add hampus lindholm to that roster now i think they're a better team john gibson same thing and and so i i think that from that perspective that would be a very very good good thing to do so Let's get into some Twitch questions now, though. So if you don't know, we do this show each and every Sunday at 8 p.m. Well, most of the time, every Sunday at 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Pacific. Yeah, 
8 p.m. Pacific. Who knows where it's going to go with our beer league starting soon. But at <laughs> twitch.tv slash Crash the Pond, where you can watch us live, you can help support the show. Uh, um, if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days to uh, to subscribe to the show. And it does help out uh, significantly. Use special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name. Um, so level two pitig, and so we had a couple of new guys in the chat. I, I noticed that I think aren't Ducks fans, so wanted oh, to at least yeah. Uh, don't want to interrupt the discussion. This is from earlier, but was wondering what the fans are projecting for Sam Steele. I was excited about him early on, but not sure if he has progressed in the way the Ducks fans had hoped. Correct me if I'm wrong. Just wondering. I'll let you take this. <laughs> oh, oh, why are you, why are you putting this in in my in my lap? Because I know I know you're just chomping at the bit to get to it. Well, I think within the fan base, there are still people. I mean, naturally, as a fan, I think a lot of people want to see Sam Steele succeed. They want to see him uh, get to the place where they thought he could be. But the consensus seems to be now that he has not met expectations. And even within the organization, I don't think that that's how they view him. And quite honestly, I don't really know how he projects as an NHL player anymore. I think that the ceiling for him has definitely gotten lower and... I think that if you're if you're kind of outside looking in, if you're someone who's not as familiar with the Ducks, um, stop looking at Sam Steele. Like, stop putting him in the conversation. Like, you know, when people bring up the Ducks prospects and they say, oh, they have Terry, Contois, Zegers, and they say Sam Steele, it's like, stop putting him in that group. Like, he is just not in that group. Nope. So purge the thought. Is there still a player to be had there? Is there still a guy who could end up being a useful NHL player? Possibly. But right now, there's no evidence of that. So yep. there you go. Uh, bring us the says, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't, uh, this was about Eichel. Isn't he still trying to recover from a pretty brutal head slash neck injury? I'm not neck. certain now is, now is the time to trade him or trade for him. Given the risk the receiver would take and the lowered value compared to him blowing up the league. He probably has, uh, uh, between the, the public disdain and nature of the injury. So here's my question with yeah. this whole neck injury situation. First yep. off, I don't know that much about it. I don't know the specifics of the injury. I don't know the specifics of the procedure. I feel like the public has kind of gone, you know, fait accompli with it and just said, well, he's having a neck injury. Ergo, his value has to be lower. Stay away. And it's like, hold on. We don't know what the procedure is. We don't know the impact of that injury. And also, look at all the foul play that's going on over there. Is it is this just like a ploy or not a ploy, but just like basically a chip that Eichel is using to pressure the organization to get him out of there? So... Again, it could be totally valid that he has that neck injury and that that should definitely reduce his value. But at the same time, I wouldn't be so hasty to just say stay away purely based on that because I feel like a lot of people are. Yeah, uh, completely agreed. I would I would honestly just talk to Eichel. I, I would, if I was interested in making a trade for him, I would try to get permission from the, the Buffalo Sabres and I guarantee they would kind of give it because you're trying to make a deal. Well, they, they want him out of there now yeah yeah and and so i think you need to have a conversation with him and see where he's at how he's feeling and why he is so on board with this surgery and i think if your team acquiring him you have to be okay with him doing this i I really do believe that and i think part of that has to be understanding where where he's getting his medical medical advice from and making sure that it's sound advice and if it is you have to let him do it i think yeah, I mean, if it's in his best interest, if it's going to help him, if it's going to help him be the best player that he can be, then yeah. So, and just to be clear, so M. Young's throwing the Twitch chat. Apparently, he will be the first person ever to get that type of surgery. That's not true. Uh, I believe Chris Weidman, 
who's an MMA fighter, got the same exact type of surgery, and he actually had just been fighting in the UFC after that, and there have been multiple different MMA fighters getting it. So even though it is in its early infancy stages, there are a lot of athletes who have gotten it and have had it successfully. It's just considered, I don't know if experimental is the right word, but that I think that's the word being thrown around because it just hasn't, it, it's not a common practice to see this surgery in the US. And I think that that's the big reason. For I don't know it. about I'm, you. I'm not a doctor, so I don't really want to comment on it too much, but that's yeah. just what I've been hearing. I don't know about you, but and maybe this is part of the reason why people have so much skepticism is just, I, I'm not a big, like the, I've never had surgery and the idea of getting surgery sounds very unappealing. And to have the thought of someone like opening up my neck and getting in there, just, it just gives, it makes me cringe. So I understand why people are kind of raising an eyebrow at that. Yep. Um, so, uh, Lewis X 209 asks favorite fast food chicken sandwich. (laughs) Wow. I mean, is there really any difference between all of them? Yes. Wow. Okay. Bold take. You I know, mean, I, uh, let's hear it. Uh, here, here's my my bold big uh, big take here. So recently, over the last couple months, I decided to try a couple different ones because obviously I'd had Chick Fil A previously. Don't say uh, Popeyes. And I got Popeyes spicy chicken sandwich. I was very very disappointed by it. Well, there's a lot of hype. There was a lot of hype and it just, it was so salty. Mm. It like didn't taste spicy. It didn't, the flavor wasn't great. It was just tasted like so, so salty. I tried McDonald's because theirs is getting a lot of hype. Also not great. Well, if you're going to go to McDonald's, just spend a dollar on a McChicken and you know, you'll get, you'll get, you'll you'll get it. You'll get a cheap thrill. But their, their, their chicken sandwich is getting hyped as being as good as everyone else's. And the thing is, I'm not the biggest Chick-fil-A fan, but I think, I mean, I think I gotta give it to Chick Fil A for for the best like chicken sandwich or spicy chicken sandwich. Look, maybe this is just me. Maybe this is just my own bias. But in life, go tried and true. Go with what works. Chick Fil A works. Has not oh. let me down. Get their spicy chicken sandwich. Damn it! Now I found the actual answer. Sorry, it's not Chick Fil A. It's Wendy's. Oh no! That's the right answer. Oh, that no. is that is the correct san- oh, that is no. the correct answer. It's Wendy's. It's. it's- it, the the differences again are negligible. I don't think there's a huge difference. Also, you know, you know what's a place that you shouldn't sleep on for a spicy chicken sandwich? Jack in the Box. Ugh, don't don't bring that up again. Jack, Jack in the, box in the is Jack trash. Jack in the Box spicy chicken sandwich, and you also get a taco on the side. Oh boy! The, oh. oh boy! Jack in the Box tacos are just they're no, delicious. They're, they're delicious. They're delicious. I mean, they're 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 awful for you, and I don't ever want to know what's in it. So no they're one ever food. actually it's not food. Yeah, it's delicious though. I don't care. I'm not going to fast food for like something that like I actually think but is going to be like healthy. It needs to at least resemble food. And no, it, it doesn't. Just doesn't. It's an alien it substance. I I don't go to McDonald's and get a breakfast sandwich thinking it, it's going to look like that. To be fair, I I don't ever go to McDonald's. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, let, let's move on. This is a divisive topic. <laughs> I mean that's that's what we're known for divisive mm-hmm. topics and having a uh, uh, Tristan Miss says who is the best Ducks trade deadline acquisition of all time of his all opinion time. his opinion is it's it's got to be Patrick Eves or David Perron I'm gonna so go Perron Perron yeah. wasn't really a deadline acquisition though he was but I I would you can count him you can you count can, him. you can put him in that category David Perron had such an impact just in terms of that chemistry he had with Ryan Getzlaff which has not always been easy to come by with Ryan Getzlaff mm-hmm. and. Um, really a huge shame that he got hurt going to the playoffs, but I would just kind of off the cuff here. He would be my pick. You're not going to say, uh, Yarko Rutu. 
maybe a little French Canadian bias there. Who knows? Can't confirm or deny. Damn, just just completely J- no no selling my random uh, remembrance no, of the Yarko twenty J- the twenty eleven deadline. J- Brandon Stewart? Brandon Peary. <laughs> that deadline, that twenty sixteen deadline, was just wild. That was a fun deadline where they just went like that was Bob Murray. And like more so than ever, just going for it and getting a bunch of guys. Bob Murray peaked at that deadline. And I I actually feel bad for him because that year, I think the Ducks did almost everything right. And yeah. they got really unlucky in the first. Oh, round. Honey Badger saying this is a, a, an underrated one. Robodal was a really good acquisition before his leg snapped. Interesting. Yeah, I, I wasn't really following the Ducks. So the that time. that was the 13-14 season. And he kind of actually was exactly what they needed. And then in the first round against Dallas, his kind of knee buckled or, or got taken out from underneath him uh time twit the, the the ducks getting screwed by injuries in the playoffs <laughs> yeah i'm brad Team. i mean brad may also is is a good one from 0607 but that's more so a depth type acquisition that wouldn't have obviously made an impact but not in the level well, of, of the you know best depth, ever. depth ads get lauded when it results in yeah. the stanley cup so exactly i mean i think i gotta say patrick eaves I mean, Patrick yeah. Eves for what he was able to do in that. If you I, if you want to talk production, yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it, yeah. Like his production with with Ryan Getzloff was just unmatched. Like it's nuts. I, I'm actually now just how, curious how how different do you think the Ducks' trajectory ends up being if Patrick Eves and Ryan Kessler and their careers just don't spiral out due to injuries? I don't think it changes anything because they were gonna. Anything? I mean, I, I think they have another year or two of being at least like a playoff level. Maybe. Team. I mean, maybe. But so, yeah. I mean, he played 20 games for the Ducks in the 16-17 season and had 11 goals. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that if the Ducks – and he was great. And I like the, that stat is important. And I, I think that if the Ducks had remained healthy a little longer, they would have remained competitive longer. But to your point, it would have it would have just delayed for, the inevitable. For, for context – the Ducks' leading goal scorer this past season was Comtois with 16 and 55. <laughs> Eves had 11 and 20 yeah. that season as a Duck. So, yeah. So, I mean, I just got to say, I mean, it's Eves and, and during that deadline acquisition and that period afterwards, it's not necessarily the time after that. Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that's the key thing because the deadline acquisition did not include the contract extension. I mean, that how many afterwards. games did Patrick Eves play after that? Like, like 17? Uh... You are very high. Because it was not... Seven? No. Zero? No. Nine. <laughs> nine. He played nine okay. games uh, over the next two seasons. Yeah, so very low. Very low. Yeah, very unfortunate. low. Yep, definitely unfortunate. Um, I mean, granted, I don't know if he would have kept up that production. but No, I think he wouldn't he, have. But it, just, it, yeah, having it, an like, NHL-level winger for Getzloff. And you can't take big. away... I mean, we talk about unsustainable stretches. You can't take away what he was actually able to do in that stretch. So... Um, getting back onto uh, the controversial opinions, Nate, who is notorious in, along with Lewis in our uh, Discord chat of just having some Nate awful is a firebrand, uh, awful food takes. Says, "Why is cheese so nasty?" You're just Nate, just just stop. It's go not. Back, go do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Ageist. <laughs> Maybe M Young saying, "Say Seattle takes Shattenkirk. What would you think takes the next or?" Who would you think takes the next step uh, and that roster spot between Mahura, Karan, or Benoit? Well, I think the issue there is Mahura's left-hand shot. Karan. are all lefties. Uh, Benoit. I think Benoit's a right-hand shot. I mean, maybe it's Benoit, but I I don't I, know. I, I, I think mean, they that, go I think they go out and sign Hawk and Paw again over letting those guys come up. Yeah, I think all of those guys kind of have their, their issues. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Yep. Uh, M Young saying side question for for me specifically: Who's winning the Euros? I actually don't have a. Oh, great... I've actually watched a few games. I I watched I a watched little the bit. Ukraine against. Um, well, now I'm already blanking. I watched the Austria game and the Ukraine game today. I only watched have watched bits and pieces. Oh, the, and I, oh Ukraine played in Netherlands. Yeah, I started watching the Denmark uh, Finland game yesterday and then missed oh. Christian Eriksen and then yeah. For anyone out there, that was really traumatizing. Christian Eriksen is one of my favorite players. He, mm-hmm. the summer I started supporting Spurs was when they bought him, and he was the first player I really connected with at Tottenham. So I think it, it sounds terrifying. like he's in. I think he. It sounds like he's doing okay now. Yes, yes, so, which which yeah. is good to hear. And yeah. just from everything I always heard, being a Tottenham fan, he's a really, really good, quiet guy, very kind of private, but a very, very good person. And so mm-hmm. sucks to see any of that happen. Yeah. Um, but England, I, England plays on Friday. At noon. Yeah. Do I go with England? I So here's the issue. I haven't paid too much attention to the rosters, honestly, because I feel like the Euros have just come out. Because you're not a true soccer fan? Well, just no, because the, okay. the Euros just have come out of nowhere. You didn't even know with... USA was playing last podcast. so No, I didn't, and now I'm all in on that, that USA team. <laughs> but uh, regardless, <laughs> the, the fact that the Stanley Cup playoffs are going on, there, there's a whole lot going on. It kind of has taken J- up. Jake so takes I... his work seriously covering hockey. So yeah. that, that's why. That's yeah. why. I'll give, but, I'll give you that out. I would guess that Belgium is a favorite. I mean, here, I'm curious. Belgium looked good in their matchup against a team that I'm forgetting. So. Euro 2020 favorites. I mean, France obviously has to be, uh, has to be up there. Yeah. All right. How's, so, I, how, How's Belgium looking? It, Italy, Italy is – wait, what? Italy, I guess, is a favorite. Yeah. Italy, Italy Belgium, Portugal. So I'm going to go with Belgium. I just think having Kevin De Bruyne is, is a huge, huge plus for them. He's, Belgium is the well, no, classic. Well, no, Kevin, wait, sorry. Belgium Ke- is the classic, like, oh, I'm a soccer fan. Now, like, now I'm spacing. I, think, I actually think Kevin De Bruyne got hurt in the Champions League final and now uh, is not playing in the Euros. I'll say this. This is a completely uneducated take, but Belgium is like the Carolina Hurricanes of soccer, in, when international soccer. Just the trendy pick. Doesn't ever get it done. So he... Uh, sorry, Jake. KDB is currently out, but he he might be back. But, I mean, they have Aiden Hazard. They have a lot of really, really good players. I think even without KDB, they're a bit of a force to be reckoned with. I mean, Belgium's been that way basically with this golden generation that they have of KDB, Hazard. Belgium is legitimate. Belgium is very, very good. I mean, France France is really good also. Um, You know, I'm I'm switching my mind. I'm going to say France. France is winning it. They're going to take the Euros. It's uh, captained by... I'm going to... I've legitimately done no research on the Euros, as I'm saying this, because I was going to say they're probably captained by Hugo Lloris uh, again. So, no clue if that's true. So, just throwing that all out there. Shadow Ops Gaming says, if a significant... Question, if a significant uh, uh, deal does happen with the Ducks, does it happen during the expansion draft or during the uh, entry draft? Oh, and Felix just muted. I think Felix is having some mic issues. So I'm going to quickly answer it because I had muted my mic for a quick second because my wife has Salem right next to me now. But uh, I think that it would be during the entry draft is when that would happen. And uh, yeah, so you there? You back, Felix? Oh, yeah. You You cannot hear me? Oh God! This this is uh what what we're known for, people. All the technical difficulties. Um, so I'm gonna go with it. it I don't know if the Ducks are gonna do a big deal before the expansion draft. I think okay. They're, now they're I, can pro- hear you. I think they're probably gonna wait until the end after the expansion draft to make a deal. 
sorry sorry about that i had a weird mic glitch apologies no worries of course that i don't happened. know if anyone even noticed <laughs> oh they did because i made note of it because i had muted my mic because monica came in with salem okay so it was and, your fault yeah l- let's just go with it was my fault sure <laughs> sorry about sure. that folks sorry about sure. that if anyone's listening on the recorded uh my the 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 wire on my mic just exploded out for some reason <laughs> no clue why that happened anyway uh hockey boys asked question all things equal should the ducks draft a forward or a d-man at three forward forward you know all things being equal the position is more impactful up front. Those are the guys who are scoring. Those are the guys who are driving value. Uh, it's forward. We did our top 10 uh, players in they the were league. All, my top would... 10 players were all forwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. biased, but that's, that's me. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not. So, if anyone else has more questions, throw them in. I'm not necessarily seeing any more questions. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know what? I so Is it time? Is it time? I, I, it might just be time. It might be okay. time. If you have questions, let us know. Uh, we we can still get to them, but I mean, we can just start wrapping this thing up. Well, if you have made it this far, congratulations, because you get to hear me talk about the Canadians for like 30 seconds. Game one tonight, Monday night, for listening Monday night against the Vegas Golden Knights. I've I've already put it on, on the record on the fourth period.com, but Habs in seven. There you go. Habs in seven, going to the cup final. Jake, Feel free to throw cold water all over my parade, but I am... I mean... I'm, I'm irrationally confident. I will admit that, but the Canadians are playing great. I think that the, the Golden Knights are a better matchup for them than the Avalanche. And it's okay to be positive. It's okay to have belief, and I'm going all in. This is the year. This is the year. I mean, I've, I'm definitely someone who has been outspoken on not wanting Vegas to, to keep on moving through for mm-hmm. a lot of years now. Mm-hmm. And I think most likely Vegas wins this series. Yeah. But I'm just going to go out there, go out on a limb and just go with you and say Habs in seven. Habs in seven. I think that they they have the kind of team that can just play that gritty style with Vegas. And if Carey Price has a hot series, if they get some scoring from their skill players, the Habs do, I think they can win this series. It's going to be very difficult. I'm already like extremely nervous for game one. Um, I hope we do a watch along for the series. We can and, definitely uh, get a watch. Is there a game next Saturday? Uh, I don't know. Let me let me check, actually. Maybe so. we'll, we'll figure it out. But we do have this question from Just a Rush Guy that I forgot about. Uh, it was really far up, so I, my apologies. Thank you for reposting it. He said, why is Gen- uh, Bob Murray still here? He has one year left, and why have him working on a long-term rebuild? And I honestly think it's a money thing. Like to me, well, that, I, th- that- I think I think you answered your own question. It's because he has one year on his deal, and the and the Samuelis in this environment don't want to be paying someone to not be working. For yeah, them. I I think they've already hired his replacement in, in Jeff Solomon. I think mm-hmm. that uh, they don't want to have to pay Solomon to do a GM's job uh, when they're already paying one, and so they're probably paying him like an AGM with the understanding he's going to get a nice raise next year. Yep. I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, and Duxco says he disagrees on the drafting thing. The Ducks should be looking to draft Wallstep because of uh, potentially trading Gibson. Hey, if that ends up being true, I don't hate that. <laughs> I don't hate drafting Wallstep three if, you, if you're if you trading Gibson. Yeah, like if that is essentially the trade. And also, I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who's, who's throwing in their support for the Canadians in this chat. I'm seeing Habs in four, Habs in six. Let's go Habs. You know, I'm I'm loving this. I'm on like it's it's really a treat to be getting this kind of emotional Salem, support. Salem, what do you think? Do you think Montreal wins? Do you think Montreal wins? 
and she's just turned around on me as walking out of the room. So Habs, Habs in one from Lewis. There you go. You got you got to believe this. Yeah, like the last round against Winnipeg, it was like a little vacation for me. Now it's back to the stress. Every yeah, the game. stress. Just a rush guy says not Madden as GM. No, I I think that you no. don't hire Jeff Solomon and bring him in if you don't have uh have it set up for him to take that role. Madden, for as much as uh, as people do like him, he does not have any real experience in managing Managerial. the cap. Managing yeah. the cap, managing contract situations. He is essentially a pro scout, or a, sorry, an amateur scout. That's what he's known for. That's where he's gone. He's probably getting more experience as an AGM now. But uh, Jeff Solomon has experience in uh, negotiating contracts on both sides. He now, over the last 10 years, has had experience with the Kings managing their cap side of it, uh, trades, everything like that. So Solomon's the guy that would take that spot. Also, to Endless Majesty in the chat saying Knights and Six, how dare you? How dare you? I mean, he did say sorry to you, so that means yes, he's he not doing it to spite you. And the thing is, Knights and Six is a very reasonable pick. It's a totally reasonable prediction, but it's no fun. It's no yeah. fun around here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and then, what makes you think Ducks go saying, what makes you think Murray won't sabotage the Ducks knowing he's fired? I don't I don't think that's happening. Uh, Rep- I mean, I mean you, you could argue he is doing that. Yeah, I mean, acting, you, but he, I, I would assume that if Murray is gone from the Ducks, he wants to be hired by another team at some point in time. Yeah, he and having that on, guy was going to just walk away from the game. Having that on your reputation is not a good good thing. I mean, look at essentially John Chayka's reputation throughout the league now. Yeah, well, he's not coming back. Yeah, so. exactly. Okay, well, do you want to do you want to wrap up here? Yeah, so if you want to support us, one way that, that's very easy to do that, that's completely free to you, is go to Apple Podcasts um, and leave us a review, especially if you in, are enjoying it. Leave us a five-star review, and we will read it on the show. And so we did get a new one um, over this last week from Trickshot87. Fantastic five stars. Um, says, Jake and Felix are the best. Great coverage of the Anaheim Ducks franchise. Been a fan of this team my entire life, and I really appreciate all that they do for the fan base. So thank you so much, Trickshot87, for that. We really, really do appreciate it. Currently at 198 ratings. So I think that was in that 198 uh, from last time. So uh, trying to push over 200. So if you are enjoying the show, something completely and very easy to for you to do is just go hit five stars. Leave us a review or a rating and help us push over 200. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I do want to mention... That actually is for all locations. So uh, even though your po- Apple podcast review only shows it for your country, we have a way to view it no matter what country you're in. So TrickShot87 was actually from Canada. So wherever you're at, Apple Podcasts on uh, your uh, your app store and leave a review and we will be able to see it. Yes, please do. So a few other different ways that you can support us. Uh, you can check out our Patreon site. So patreon.com slash crash the pond. Uh, for a dollar a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord chat, which is always a lot of fun during the duck season. We have a chat in there uh, during games where we're just going back and forth. And during the playoffs, and Jake is just busting out a Pop-Tart. No clue why. No, no clue why this is happening right now. Uh, but check that out. I mean, you get to connect with other diehard fans. You get to uh, discuss the playoffs and just kind of react to whatever's going on. The latest Ducks news. For $5 a month, you get access to two bonus episodes where... Like we talked about earlier, we'll do like league-wide rankings. We did our top 10 players. I think at some point uh, in the coming weeks, we'll do maybe this month or next month, we'll do like our award winners for the season. Um, So that's for $5 a month. And then for $15 a month, you get access to everything I just talked about. You also get access to two watch-alongs a month as Jake is just sticking this Pop-Tart in the camera. No clue why. Eating 
on the show. This may be the first eat like consumption of food that's happened on the show. Anyway, totally thrown off by that. So with the watch alongs, basically you get to join us, watch games during the duck season gives you an, an alternative feed to the usual broadcast and where we really go in and, and try to analyze the matchups, the lines, give you stats on the fly. So it's a def- definitely a different feel for the off season right now. We're doing basically just watch alongs for playoff games, having a little fun with that. And then as the off season progresses, we may do like old ducks games, things of that nature. So that's all at, at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Jake, Jake already brought up the uh, Apple podcast. So definitely go leave us a review there. Subscribe to us on Spotify. We're also on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. So if you want to see the video version of this, you want to see Jake eating Pop-Tarts. You know, I'm just a show. chaos agent. And as Gabe Greenlee <laughs> says, what a diverse podcast this has been. It that's really what you, has that's been. what you get from us. That's what you get. Um, so go check that out, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, check out our website, crash the pond.com, crash the pond.com slash shop. You can get one of the sweet t-shirts that Jake is actually rocking here. Uh, it's got it's got our logo, our awesome logo. It's also got a logo on the back, and uh, you can also get a hoodie there. So just just go check that out. We'll have some articles going up there, leading up to the different drafts this summer. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Crash the Pond. Jake is on there at Reindeer Games ninety one, and I'm on there at Felix underscore Sicard. So that is going to do it for us tonight, guys. It's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you everybody who submitted questions, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.